passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. All right, and we are live from the Big Phil Palace in Aurora, Ontario, Canada. Uh, I am your host for this UFC 255 post show. I'm Phil Chairtalk, and today I am joined by a post-wrestling correspondent, Eric Marcotte. Eric, how are you doing this evening? Oh, I am fantastic. I thought we wouldn't be starting this up until 2 in the morning, so I feel as though we were blessed by the main event. That's right. Yes, it looked like we were going to go uh, pretty late. Um, first and foremost, I just wanted to say, uh, normally I'm not the host of this show. It's usually uh, the familiar John Pollock. But uh, fortunately, John is not with us uh, this weekend, uh, fortunately for him, because uh, he has uh, added a new person to his family. Evie Pollock was born this week, and so uh, his family is celebrating and certainly watching. Uh, we know they enjoyed watching UFC 255 <laughs> together um uh but uh john will be back later but uh instead we have eric who's uh of course done so much great ufc coverage uh throughout the years on post uh wrestling and uh he's here to help us out uh with this fight um so uh going into this event uh eric uh we talked briefly earlier this week and uh, you seem pretty excited about this card uh despite the fact that there wasn't a lot of fanfare for it yeah, well, obviously this isn't one of the bigger pay-per-view events of the year. There were some fights that looked like they might be a bit of fun on paper, so I can't say this is one of those cards that I was really dreading. Yeah, I mean, for me, I was excited because uh, Valentina Shevchenko was on this card, and anybody who's been listening to these uh, shows for a while knows that I am a huge fan of hers. But otherwise, it, it was a card that was... It had some good matchups that delivered on action, but uh, lacked uh, name recognition. Um, so why don't we get right into it and start with the top of the card, which was Davison Figueredo defending his title against Alex Perez. So what went down, Eric? So Davison Figueredo, Alex Perez. If you recall, the original originally scheduled uh, headliner for this card was Figueredo defending his championship against one Cody Garbrandt, but... Garbrandt unfortunately had to pull out, what was it, about a month ago. He tore his bicep. He got COVID. Uh, on his Instagram story today, I'm not sure if you saw this, he revealed he's had some issues with blood clots. So wishing our best to Cody Garbrandt. That can be a very serious thing. But Alex Perez took his spot, and this was the fight that we got. The action... Oh, you were going to say something? No, there? no, go ahead. Go on with the action. Of course. The action begins, and Figueredo immediately starts the fight with a pair of kicks to the body. You can see that he was definitely looking, all right, if this fight goes 25 minutes, I'm going to attack the body, punish him early. So Perez gets a body shot of his own, and he goes for a takedown. 
unfortunately, this was not a good idea. It's, it took him a while to get Figueredo down, but once he finally did, he jumped down and he immediately gets caught in a guillotine choke. It looked like he was close to escaping, but unfortunately for Perez, he was forced to tap out and Divison Figueredo retained the UFC Flyweight Championship at a minute and 57 seconds of the first round. What were your thoughts on this one, Phil? Uh, well, it was pretty exciting from the get-go. I mean, Figueredo went out there and wanted to establish his power like we knew uh, he would. Uh, Perez was happy to answer. Um, it looked like Perez cracked him with a good shot early, and Figueredo just decided that that power was not going to bother him, and he was going to come forward. But then Perez was able to land some really strong kicks. He had, he had yes. like a two-kick combo where he, he went to the calf or the ankle and then right to the body before ultimately sort of the weird takedown sequence where Figueredo then dives on an ankle, ends up on bottom but spins into a guillotine that was just too strong and and figueredo extremely impressive performance uh just what we needed at the end of a long night <laughs> of fights with a few finishes um and uh a very strong champion in a division that was looking pretty weak uh not too long ago yeah davis and figueredo uh after his first fight or two in the ufc you can tell this guy was a ton of fun He's a super active fighter with strong jiu-jitsu and legitimate one-punch knockout power. I saw a statistic earlier this week that the only fighter that has a higher uh, strike-to-knockdown ratio is Francis Ngannou. So for flyweight, this guy is a hard hitter. And then he only has one loss in the division. He's currently 9-1 and one in the UFC. And with that one guy, Juicier Formiga, getting cut earlier this week, it's tough to imagine somebody dethroning him right now. Yeah. Uh, well, so let's talk about that next fight. I mean, he called out Brandon Moreno, who was on this card. Um, and uh, we don't usually do this, but my, why don't we just skip to that fight, which was uh, the top of the preliminary card. And that was Brandon Moreno versus Brandon Royval. And so, so what went down in that one? So, yeah, this was the about that headline, the preliminary portion of the card. Both men coming off pretty good wins in their last fight and this fight was personally the one I was looking forward to most on this card it was pretty much guaranteed to be entertaining and it took no time for each fighter to run into the middle of the octagon they just started trading they were landing big shots and Moreno takes Royval down in the middle of the cage but Royval just he pops right back up and he kept going for spinning elbows Brandon Royval did it's a, if you recall his last fight against Kaikara France, he was hurt early and then he landed a spinning elbow that turned the tides and he kept going for that one in this fight. Moreno was wise to it eventually and while Royval was spinning, Moreno grabs his back and he drags him down to the ground. Now, naturally, when you have someone's back, you typically go for the naked choke and that's what Moreno did. He went for the finish and he was really cranking Royval's neck it looked nasty, but Royval slips out of it. And this is when the fight ending sequence began. So they were in an awkward position on the ground as Royval kind of goes for a leg at one point and he gets caught in this strange position where he's eating hammer fist after hammer fist from Brandon Moreno. And you hear him, Royval, that is, yell out in pain and the fight gets stopped with 
a second left in the round. And as it turns out, he unfortunately dislocated his shoulder pretty badly. And Brandon Moreno wins by TKO at 4.59 of the first round. Yeah, it was a pretty exciting fight while it lasted. Uh, it was very competitive on their feet. I liked the way that Royval was moving. He looked huge. Um, but then Brandon Moreno was able to get that takedown. And uh, and he sort of he was able to secure this weird half-twister position where he was almost able to sec- secure a spine lock, but didn't quite... Uh, wasn't quite able to lock the hips down, which is why uh, Roy Val didn't tap in that situation. But then, unfortunately, after another scramble when Moreno uh, got on top and, and Roy Val went to turn, yeah, he dislocated that shoulder. Uh, it looked like something that happened to him on the regular. They popped it back in. Yep. He was fine. Um, but this sets up Brandon Moreno versus uh, Figueredo for the championship. Next, Figueredo called him out. So what do you think about that fight? I think that's clearly the fight to make at flyweight. I mean, it wouldn't shock me if Cody Garbrandt gets healthy and they and the UFC decides to rebook Figueroa over Garbrandt just because that would sell much better on pay per view. But the fight to make is Figueroa over Brandon uh, Moreno. Brandon Moreno yeah. is also only has one loss in the UFC and he is looked dominant. I think he's what seven and one now in the UFC since he debuted. So that that'd be a pretty exciting matchup. Yeah, I I think that is definitely the one to make. All right, so uh, moving on, we then get to uh, Valentina Shevchenko defending her Women's Flyweight Championship against Jennifer Maya. Valentina Shevchenko coming into this fight as the biggest favorite of all time in the UFC, um, at least in a championship fight. I don't know if it was any fight ever. Um, but, uh, yeah, so, uh, not a lot of expectation from Maya leading into this one. Uh, what were your thoughts going into this fight, Eric? I, so the odds were massive, as you said, in favor of Valentina Shevchenko. She was a minus 2000 favorite. And though typically whenever I'd see odds like that, I would say that's ridiculous in MMA, but this is one of those few times where I kind of feel justified. I expected Valentina Shevchenko to dominate the fight, and we'll get into what happened. Yeah, so so uh, yeah, so I'll just finish up with round one. I mean, it opened up with uh, Shevchenko throwing a front kick and a punch. She got a headlock, her typical headlock, into a takedown. Uh, Maya was able to regard, uh, but Shevchenko landed for elbows from the top and body shots, and that was really the whole first round. Not terribly exciting, but a clear 10-9 for the champion. Uh, we then went into round two, and my goodness, did we see one of the most amazing oh, performances boy. in the history of title challengers. Why don't you tell us about this round? <laughs> yes, yes. So uh, it took less than 20 seconds for Shevchenko to take the fight back to the ground, but this time Maya pops right back up, and she finds herself, Shevchenko that is, finds herself pressed against the cage for a couple minutes as Maya racked up a bunch of control time. And with about a minute left, she took Shevchenko down to the ground and she held her there for the remainder of the round. Okay, so... 10-9 round. Okay, so yes, it was a clear 10-9 round. And I I guess this is a good opportunity for you to rant on the commentary that you heard tonight because this was probably one of the more... This this fight was the most egregious of all of them this uh, today. Uh, So... 
what was going on with the commentary in this fight? Oh, well, the, the, man, I'm trying to find the words. The commentary for this fight, specifically one Joe Rogan, he was so impressed by Jennifer Maya's performance. Every time she landed anything, it got the whole, oh, treatment from him. When Shevchenko did anything, it was a, well, of course she's winning. I mean, of course she landed that. And when Maya won a round, well, Joe Rogan was ready to score the fight for her right then. Yeah, I, I, this was definitely not one of Rogan's best performances. I, I think Cormier was guilty in this fight too and throughout the night as well. I mean, they were just so focused on Maya and what she was doing. You know, good. Yeah, she's doing a good job of controlling her wrist in guard. Yeah, she's in guard losing this fight. And uh, the theme continued into the other rounds uh, that Shevchenko started to win. So why don't you give us a recap of the remaining rounds, and then we'll talk about uh, what's next. All right, so heading into round three, it's 1919 to uh, Joe Rogan's immense disbelief. Shevchenko lands a pair of left hands, and Maya brings her right back to the cage. Maya does land a solid pair of hooks on the break, but Shevchenko was really starting to take over the fight with her striking. Not to say she was overly active or overly aggressive, but there was a, a clear skill discrepancy in the striking. And her left hand, her straight left hand, became the story of the fight. She was landing it over and over and over again, and about halfway through the round, she brings Maya back down to the ground and controls pretty much the rest of the round. Clear, very clear 29-28 Shevchenko hanging into round four. Round four. It's looking a lot like the last one. Left hand lands, left hand lands, left hand lands. It just can't miss. Maya was like, she was trying to make her way inside to close the distance, but she was getting lit up every time she tried to close the distance. She did land a pair of strong right hands at one point, but Shevchenko dragged her right back down to the ground. And this is the point where the commentary, it almost broke me. Joe Rogan could not believe that Valentina Shevchenko was grappling. She She's a striker. How could she grapple? Because Joe Rogan has clearly never watched a Valentina Shevchenko fight before, who has won almost all of her fights at flyweight by dominating her, her opponents on the ground. I, I couldn't believe what I was hearing. Joe Rogan couldn't believe what he was seeing. I swear I won't mention it again, but it was it was something. Anyways, another clear round for Valentina Shevchenko. Going into the fifth round, Jennifer Maya, hey, she knows she needs a finish, and she rushes across the octagon to try to take Shevchenko down. They exchanged right hands, and Shevchenko flurried forward, landing uh, a few solid shots before uh, Maya re-engaged her in the clinch. At this point, Maya's face was beginning to show the effects of the fight. Her nose was bleeding pretty heavily, and Valentina Shevchenko ends the fight with a strong spinning back fist. I scored the fight 49-46 for Valentina Shevchenko. I think everybody else did as well, including the judges, and she retained her UFC Women's Flyweight Championship. Yeah, I I scored it the same way. Um, It wasn't always, um, you know, it wasn't complete, total destruction, 
like we're used to seeing from her, but she generally dominated this fight. She won most of the positions, even though she was pressed against the cage. Several times she was able to dig for underhooks, reverse the position, turn that into a trip. The only reason why Maya got a takedown in the second round was because of a mistake in trying to tr uh, throw Maya by Shevchenko. And Shevchenko also in this fight, she showed a little bit of dog. The third round, it got dirty. They were they were chucking heat right at the end there. Um, and uh, I really liked the way Shevchenko fought. Uh, she, you know, she did take her down several times. You know, she just mixes it up. She used, she had the opportunity to. It, it wasn't that she was looking for the takedown per se. She's just a great. She has just great smarts in there, and she's able to recognize the opportunities. And that's why she's so accurate with her takedowns. Um, so another dominating performance. Still a, a good showing from Maya. Maya was a big girl, tough. She when she started throwing heat in the last round, uh, you know she would she would land and she she would send uh, Shevchenko back. But uh, again, impressive from Shevchenko. Once again, beats a bigger woman. Uh, something that she's done a lot in her career, but has not had to do at this weight class. So I guess this sets up what's next for the champion. What, where, where does she go from here? So Valentina Shevchenko at this point, she's been in the flyweight division for six fights, six and zero, five of those being title fights, and she's yeah, she's knocked off a solid portion of the division already, but recently. We had some a bit of new life in the added to the division when Jessica Andrade moved up about a month ago, finishing Caitlin Chukagian, who we'll talk about later in the first round. I think Shevchenko versus Andrade is the logical next step for her. How do you feel about I mean, that? I'm not terribly crazy about it because it's not like Andrade has done too much in the division, but she did beat somebody who recently challenged for the title, and uh, you know she is she has some name recognition, so it, it's not the worst thing. Ever. Um, I just, I, I sort of already said this before on previous shows, but Valentina Shevchenko is really at a point where she's just knocking off contenders. And uh, it's going to take, it's going to take a, somebody with a serious grappling game to, to, to deal with her. Okay, so uh, moving on. Just before um, they aired the, uh, the co-main event there was a uh, package a video package announcing that mark ratner is being inducted into the ufc hall of fame uh if people are not familiar with mark ratner he's been with the ufc for over 15 years he's a long time las vegas uh, nevada state athletic commission member and at the time that the fertita brothers and uh, Dana White bought the UFC, they brought Ratner on board with the explicit purpose of getting the UFC sanctioned, not just in Nevada, but across all 50 states and then ultimately internationally. And so he has a massive contribution to the sport of MMA because his, his work in getting uh, MMA sanctioned benefited Bellator and Strikeforce and all these other promotions in America. So uh, well-deserved. Uh, the video package was tremendous. Uh, they had a ton of uh, great journalists and uh, former UFC uh, luminaries. Um, so I recommend people go and check that out. And uh, Eric, I don't know if you wanted to give any thoughts on Mark Ratner, the package, and his selection to the Hall of Fame. 
Yeah, I don't have much to say that you didn't already say. I think everyone can agree it's a worthy induction. Uh, John Anik did note that the Hall of Fame ceremony would take place at some point in 2021, and they would induct both the class of 2020 and next year's class uh, simultaneously, a class that will presumably be headlined by one George St. Pierre. So that's the most recent update we've gotten on the Hall of Fame. All right, something to look forward to next year. All right, so moving on in the card, uh, third from the top, we had Platinum Mike Perry, always lots of fun uh, leading up to an event, always causing lots of, you know, excitement. Uh, And uh, this week was no different. He misses weight by four and a half pounds or four pounds. What is it? Yeah, four and a half. Uh, Four and a half, yeah. Yeah, so uh, the limit was 171 and he weighed in at 175.5. Looked like he was going to miss weight. Uh, well ahead of time. Uh, also bringing in his girlfriend, fiance, wife, uh, who's pregnant, like very late. Uh, she had some good advice at one point in in, in this fight, actually. Yeah. She, she didn't do so bad. Uh, but uh, well, yeah. So uh, why don't you tell us what happened in this one? <laughs> okay. So yeah. Like... Phil already said Perry misses weight by 4.5 pounds. He dabs on the scale and he's fine 30% of his purse. <laughs> the fight begins and Perry, who's a very different fighter now than he was when he burst into the UFC, he immediately shoots for a takedown and he's successful. He brings means to the ground with a pretty solid body lock. Perry takes his back and he begins to search for the rear naked choke. He he was squeezing the jaw, but he was never too close to finishing it, in my opinion. Means rotates on top, and he gets back to his feet. There's not a lot of time left in the round, but I did think Means landed some solid shots towards the end of the round. He clearly seemed as though he was the more comfortable striker. Uh, Perry did land a nice right hook to the body, but that's how the round ended. I scored it for Mike Perry. How, how did you see it, Phil? I had it uh, for Perry as well. Uh, he, it, yeah, the takedown was very impressive and not something you expected. And then he almost got the submission, uh, or it looked like he almost got the submission. He was certainly attacking it and uh, forcing Means to defend. But yeah, once Means got up to the feet, it looked like uh, Perry had, had spent himself a little bit. Okay, so I agree completely. And moving into round two, this is where Means starts to take over the fight, mainly using his jab and some quick straight right hands. He At one point, he catches Perry with a right hook. It's early in the round, but it was a very solid shot. Means lands a right uppercut as Perry lunged forward. And this is something that you see a lot more throughout this round and we'll touch on, touch on it in the next in the sense that Perry, when he was striking, he would often lunge forward with, say, a big looping right hook or a big looping left hook, and Means was just quickly moving out of the way and countering him. This was a sequence that repeated itself multiple times. At one point, Perry did land a right hook, and it looked like it hurt Means, but he wasn't really able to capitalize on it, and Means quickly recovered. He went right back to work, landing a pretty strong elbow, and... Perry was just walking into Means' jab over and over again. I thought this was a clear round for Means. Did you see nope, it any differently? Had it exactly the same. All right, all right. I think I think uh, we're in the majority on that one. But hey, I did see some other scorecards out there. We'll get to that later. Perry uh, into round three. Perry immediately tries to take Means down. 
but he didn't have the success he had in the first. Obviously, he had expended quite a bit of his energy by then, but hey, this third round, it looked a lot different from the last two because this third round turned into a slugfest. Both of these guys just met in the middle of the octagon, and they were trading back and forth. Means was landing more, but there were these stretches of time where they would just stand there and trade in the pocket, and Perry hits hard. <laughs> That's not to discredit Tim Means, who obviously hits hard himself, but you could see the power differential between them when they were just standing there trading back and forth. Still, still, Means dominated the vast majority of the round. Okay, he like doubled up Perry's striking, but this was a really fun round. I scored the fight... 29 28 for Tim Means. Uh, how did you score? Yeah, like, I had it the way? same way the third round. It was a it was a close competitive fight, but but Means clearly won rounds 2 and 3. 3 he took over uh doubling up with it was pretty much 2 to 1 on the strikes because Means would double up on the jab and then Perry would land something big. There was a moment for about 20 seconds where it, it looked like it was going to get gnarly in there and they were trading in the center, but once uh, means just added more movement and became a little bit more dynamic. He was able to take over and uh, secure the round in what was a pretty exciting fight. Um, yeah, I mean, doesn't really do too much for the division. I mean, these guys are have kind of been there, done that, uh, but nonetheless, a fun fight uh, for the fans. Yeah, yeah. The scorecards are red, and two of the judges agreed with us. Twenty nine, twenty eight means. And one judge scored at 30-27 for Tim Means, which honestly I have trouble giving him first round, but hey, we've seen Wilder score. That's right. Yes. All right. So moving on to uh, an, the uh, another women's flyweight match, this time between former title challenger Caitlin Chukagian and Cynthia Calvillo. Um, yeah. Why don't you let us know what happened in this one, Eric? Okay, so the fight begins, and Calvillo lands a left hook right away and goes for a single leg. Uh, she brought Chukagian down, wasn't able to get top control or anything, and Chukagian just popped right back up. The difference in this fight was Chukagian had a significant reach advantage, and she was tagging Calvillo repeatedly. Uh, that was pretty much the story of the round. It wasn't as though it was a high-paced, exciting round, but I thought it was pretty a pretty clear round for Caitlin Chukagian the commentators they stopped paying attention to the fight about halfway through um they decided to talk about turning the volume up and down on their headsets so they didn't have to hear Chukagian's uh, screeches after every shot I understand what they were saying it was getting a bit much but hey that's the fight game going into round two it looked a lot like the first round the difference maker was that reach advantage for Chukagian and Calvio just couldn't close the distance. Still, whenever she moved her way inside, she was landing some solid shots. Short left, that short left hook, she threw it repeatedly, and it looked like it was landing with more power than most of what Chukagian was offering. Uh, again, I scored the round for Chukagian, but it, it was a bit closer than the first. So, as the, as the third round starts, they show the striking numbers, and if memory serves correct, it's 46-41 to 41 for Caitlin Chukagian, and Joe Rogan decides to go full conspiracy mode. He just refuses to believe that the striking numbers were as close as they were, 
and he thought this was a masterful, dominant performance from Caitlin Chukagan, that she was untouchable in there. And he made a big stink about it throughout the first minutes about how there's no way those numbers were possibly accurate. Calvillo was, to her credit, more active this round. For, for the most part, especially in the first half, she lands that left hook a few more times, and she was throwing more kicks this round, which was very helpful for her. Still, it wasn't like it was a super active round, and I scored this round for Kaylin Chukagian as well. Did you score? Um, so this round, from- I actually did give to Calvillo. I thought that she moved forward more and just landed, was able to get inside a little bit. That was something she wasn't able to do. Chukagian was effective with her jab throughout the entire fight. Not necessarily landing it a whole lot, but she was able to just use it to keep her away, and Calvillo was able to essentially land nothing. Um, I think Chukagian landed an elbow at one point that uh, hurt Calvillo. Um, it, it it wasn't. It was sort of like a close. It wasn't that close. Like it, like Chukagin clearly won the fight, but it wasn't also like a blowout at the same time. Um, uh, very well said. The judges agreed, scoring at thirty twenty seven for Caitlin Chukagin. And as they were showing, you know, between before the official scorecards are read. They'll show highlights from the fight to fill time. And as they were showing the highlights, there were lots of Cynthia Calvillo highlights who did land some shots throughout the fight. And once again, Joe Rogan, <laughs> Mr. Conspiracy, he, he believed, he, he states mm, very carefully selected highlights here because he just cannot believe that this fight wasn't a blowout for Caitlin Chukagian. <laughs> I found that, wow. It's pretty clear how I found that. Regardless, Caitlin Chukagian's kind of in a strange position in the division now. She has lost. She has a loss to Valentina Shevchenko. It was pretty one-sided, but she's not going anywhere either. If your name isn't Valentina Shevchenko, she's clearly not an easy night at the office. Yeah, that's right. I mean, has she fought Jennifer Maya? I mean, that kind of feels like it might be the most make the most sense right now. You know, if you know. I think she oh, may have did. actually beat yeah. Jennifer Ka- Maya in the Caitlin past. Chukagian I could be wrong on that. defeated her at UFC 244 a year ago. So, I mean, why don't huh. why don't we remember that? Who knows? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, hey, I remembered it. That's where's my fair credit. Enough, Regardless, yeah, she she's in an interesting spot. Nah. Okay, let's uh, let's move on. Uh, so the the main card opened with uh, the rematch. Everyone demanded. Uh, earlier was it this year uh, that Shogun and Mauricio Shogun Hua and Paul Berju Craig uh, fought to a draw and so they had to run it back Um, how'd this one go yeah so their last fight November of 2019 it ended in a split draw I personally scored it for Shogun but it was one of those fights where you could have scored anyway. I wouldn't have disagreed. It was a rematch nobody wanted, but hey, we got it, and it opened up the main card here. The first round begins, and Craig lands a number of kicks. Shogun backs him up at one point with a combination, but Craig just takes Shogun down pretty easily with a double leg. Uh, Shogun eventually made his way back to the feet, but he eats some knees in the process, and he gets pulled right back down to the ground. Shogun... um 
there isn't much time left in the round, maybe like 40 seconds. Shogun reverses the position and he ends up on top in half guard. He, he didn't really do much from that position, but that's what he had going for him, about 40 seconds of top control. I thought this was a very clear 10-9 round for Paul Craig. Uh, one of the judges actually disagreed and scored the fight, scored the round for Shogun. Thankfully, the fight didn't go that far because, hey, round two starts and Hua, he's just eating jabs over and over again. It's sad to see how much he's slowed down from his prime. He's very tired as well after all the grappling in the first round. He, he does land a strong right hand at one point, but he kind of overdid to a follow-up where he just goes for the same thing again, and Craig takes him down. He uh, Shogun rotates out of it, back to his feet, but once again, Craig just drags him back down, easy as pie, and he takes his back. He flattens Shogun out, and he just rains down ground and pound strikes until Shogun taps from the ground and pound. Paul Craig is your winner by TKO at 3.36 of round two. Phil, what were your thoughts on Paul Craig's victory? Um, I mean, it was pretty tough to watch uh, Shogun Hua go out this way, but uh, Craig did what he needed to do. Um, He he used his weight and size to carry uh, Shogun to the ground and tire him out. And then eventually uh, in the second round, he just got him to a point where... He just had his way with them. Uh, Shogun didn't have anything left to be able to defend the positions. And uh, that was mostly what it was. He, he couldn't even attempt to escape uh, being flattened out. So, you know, Paul Craig gets the win, ends this uh, mini rivalry. And, uh, you know, onward and upward in the light heavyweight division. Hard to see where you go from here, <laughs> but, uh, you know... I guess it's, you know, next steps. Okay, so. Yeah, I mean, it's. No, go ahead. Oh, go sorry. ahead. I was, you... was going to move on, but you have something to say. Okay, I was going to say, I was going to say, it's definitely kind of sad to see Shogun these days. He's just slowed down so much. He's had so many injuries, especially to those knees. He's tapping to Paul Craig from strikes in an empty arena. He still has fights left on his contract. Yeah. What would you like to see? From I mean, Shogun? I don't really want to see much from Shogun. I mean, we we just saw Anderson Silva released from the UFC, and I'd argue he's in a better state in his career than Shogun is. Um, so, um, uh, I mean, I I don't need to see him fight anymore. I didn't need to see this fight, but um, look, he 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 did draw with Craig earlier this year. He's had some competitive fights in the last few years. Um, so I can't say oh, he's that- only lost like. He's only lost like two of his last eight fights, but obviously they haven't been against the highest level of competition. And when you compare him to the Shogun of old, it's like we said earlier, he's just, yeah. Yeah, I'm just not sure really who who you put him up in there against uh, with. uh, Maybe you just continue to put him in there with new guys to build uh, their name, but it's not really uh, something I'm terribly eager to watch. Okay. I feel sad just talking about okay. it. Let's move on. All right. So we already talked about the preliminary card. The uh, top of the preliminary card was uh, Brandon Moreno defeating Brandon Royval. Uh, so then we move on to the rich, quick return of Joaquin Buckley. Uh, Buckley, of course, made famous uh, last month or so with uh, one of the most exciting uh 
finishes in UFC history, a spinning sidekick to the face. He was taking on Jordan Wright, who was also coming in this fight undefeated and uh, looked like a pretty good prospect. Uh, so uh, what went down in this one? So seconds into the fights, they uh, begin to aggressively wrestle in the clinch. Buckley lands a combination of hooks to the body and a left hand that left a noticeable mark on Wright's face. Wright avoids some big swings from Buckley, and he does he does connect with some kicks to the body as well as a solid one to the head. Buckley was like just marching forward, swinging for the fences, but he was getting countered pretty much as often as he landed. Towards the very end of the round, Buckley eventually corners him against the cage, and he st- he just lets loose with those hooks. He completely overwhelms Wright, and he drops him. Wright, he holds on until the end of the round, but he is clearly in very rough shape. Uh, according to Joe Rogan, he's not responding to his corner men between rounds, and as the second round begins, Buckley gives him no time to recover. He swarms him and lands a pair of hooks that just knock Wright unconscious. Joaquin Buckley is your winner by knockout at 18 seconds of the second round, and he calls out James Krause in this post-fight interview. What were your thoughts on this one? I, I mean, this is this is what you got to do if you're going to make a name for yourself in the UFC. This this is how you do it. You you follow up one highlight reel knockout with another highlight reel knockout, and then call out somebody higher than you in the rankings. And yeah, get back in there real quick. I mean, we were talking about this, uh, John and myself, last time about Buckley, how he was going to make a quick return. He did. And, uh, you know, he's making the UFC very happy. They love it when people come back real fast. And it seems like he was unscathed in this one. So I wouldn't be surprised to see him back soon again. And maybe it will be against uh, uh, Kraus. The James Krause. Okay, moving on. Uh, we In the women's flyweight division, another, the third women's flyweight fight, we had Antonio Shef, Antonia, Antonina Shevchenko, uh, the sister, the older sister of champion Valentina Shevchenko, taking on Ariane Lipsky. Um, so, yeah, why don't you tell us about the action in this one? Lipsky lands a strong life, a stronger, a strong left hand just as the fight begins, and Shevchenko wastes no time in trying to bring the fight to the ground. At first, they kind of have a bit of a stalemate in the clinch, but eventually, maybe about halfway through the round, Shevchenko brings her down and she moves into half guard. She didn't land any big strikes or threaten any submissions, but I thought it was enough to score the round in her favor. Into round two, it kind of looks a bit like the first round where Lipsky makes a lands a big strike as the action begins, and Shevchenko she just wants him on of it. She brings Lipsky down to the ground, and this is where the grappling discrepancy between the two was really apparent, as Shevchenko was able to control the entirety of the round with her grappling, and she's landing a lot more ground pound strikes. She eventually she kind of gets into half guard if memory serves correct. And she's throwing down ground and pound shot after ground and pound shot as uh, Lipsky kind of covers up. And the referee is warning Lipsky she has to move. She has to improve her position. But she was unable to. And Antonina Shevchenko picks up the TKO victory at 4.33 of round two. What were your thoughts on Shevchenko compared to her previous UFC Look, she clearly made some massive improvements in the grappling department uh, since taking on Caitlin Chukagian a couple years ago and losing. 
uh, and being dominated on the ground. Um, you know, who who is this opponent? Ariane Lipsky. I mean, this is certainly not the most elite grappler, but nonetheless, uh, Shevchenko showed a significant improvement um, and just demonstrated a, a, the same type of well-rounded attitude that um, her sister possesses. And so uh, I look forward to seeing her, you know, continue to uh, climb the rankings. And maybe after a few more fights, she can get a Chukagian rematch. That'd be pretty interesting, I think. Yeah, I think that's fair to say. I mean, as you said, Lipsky isn't the strongest grappler. So I'm not one of those people who are going to come out here and just say, uh, clearly Shevchenko has improved miles on the ground since her last fight but it was where she got dominated against Caitlin Chukagian and that's where she dominated this one so this was as great of a performance as she could have asked mm. for all right so opening up the preliminary card was uh Daniel Rodriguez taking on longtime UFC veteran Nicholas Dalby uh, why don't you give us a brief summary of what these uh three rounds showed us so the first round was very close. Dalby is the more active fighter, throwing a lot of leg kicks. And Rodriguez, he's, I wouldn't go as far to say that he's hesitant, but he isn't pushing things forward. He is outstriking Rodriguez by six, Dalby, that is, is outstriking Rodriguez by a significant amount. And he landed oh, a few left hands to mix things up. Yeah. Can't find my words. Must be getting late or something. This is early for you. <laughs> Regardless. <laughs> it's a bit early. Yeah, yeah. Near the end of the round, Rodriguez starts to turn it, turn it around. He fires up. He lands a bunch of left hands as Dalby tried to circle out of it. Again, this was a close round, but I gave the edge to Rodriguez. Going into round two, Rodriguez keeps the pressure up to begin the round. But he fades quickly. Not that he's tired, but Dalby's circling away. He's by far the more active fighter, and he lands a ton of leg kicks. I thought Dalby evened it up on the scorecards. Going into round three, it looks a lot like round two. Rodriguez's biggest problem is he's just not active enough. When he is landing, he's landing harder, but... Dalby just kind of outworked him here, and I scored the fight 29-28 in his favor. Two of the judges agreed with me, and one scored at 30-27. The commentators thought this was the biggest robbery in the history of the sport. How did you see so it? So I scored this one 30-27 for Dalby. Uh, I think 30 uh, 29-28 is fine as well. Uh, yeah, it was pretty much Rodriguez just couldn't get off, mostly because Dalby was just effectively using his jab and even just fainting and missing just enough to keep Rodriguez away. A lot of people online I saw were were surprised at this decision as well. I mean, you can make a case because Dalby didn't really land too much power-wise. I mean, there was a couple times he did back up uh, Rodriguez. Um, but, uh, look, I mean, I wouldn't split hairs about it. This was not a thrilling fight, and I wouldn't recommend anybody go back and watch it just because it was controversial. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Okay, well so moving on to the early preliminary portion of the event, um, we got treated to what I would imagine is going to be the fight of the night. Um, we, uh, Alain Joubin was returning, 
uh, to take on Jared Gooden. Uh, you weren't terribly excited about this one, but it turned out to be a barn burner. Uh, yes, it was. I thought Juban was looking a bit slower in his last couple of fights, and he's been a, a pretty inactive fighter. But hey, did you know this guy is turning 39 next week? I couldn't believe no, it. No, I didn't. I didn't Regardless, know. yeah. Regardless, he comes out, and this was a barn burner of a fight, yeah. Gooden was given Joban no room early. He's pressing forward, throwing a ton of jabs, and Joban responded with a number of kicks to the body. Gooden backs Joban up with an accidental headbutt, but Joban recovered pretty quickly, and he continued his, his attack to the body. Joban's right eye was beginning to swell shut, but it didn't seem to be bothering him too much. He landed a couple more powerful body kicks, and couldn't connect it with a straight right hand. I thought this was a super close round, but I did give the edge to Alan Joban. Going into round two, Gooden hurts him early with a 1-2, but he couldn't really capitalize on it, and Joban just returns fire. He lands a bunch of left hands, and Gooden was kind of staggering around the cage. Gooden, he was just eating shot after shot, but this man would not go down, and both men were looking exhausted by the end of the round. Uh, before things concluded, however, Gooden fires back with a big right hand, and the round concludes with Joban just walking him down. He couldn't miss every time he was throwing in combination. I scored this round for Alan Joban as well, so I had him up two rounds to nothing going into the final round. Going into round three, Gooden lands a strong right hand, but Joban goes right back to the to the body. His body shots didn't have quite as much behind them as they did in the first round, considering how exhausted they were. But you could still hear them echoing throughout the empty arena. There was a low blow that paused the action momentarily, but things got back going quickly. Joban connects with a body kick, and Gooden backs him off with a uh, pretty quick combination. Gooden went for a takedown late in the round, and Joban jumps on a guillotine. He doesn't finish the submission, but it was razor close, and I believe Jared Gooden actually stated that he did tap, as Jerogan pointed out on the broadcast, but the ref just didn't see it, and the fight went to the scorecards. Every judge saw it the same way, 30-27 for Alan Joban. I thought this was a fantastic fight, and how did you feel about it, Phil? Yeah, it was a great fight from start to finish. Um, I actually scored it 30-28 with the last round being 10-10, which now seems silly if he actually, I didn't hear that he said he tapped from that because I thought that the round, yeah, I thought it was a pretty close round. I thought Gooden came out there firing hard and uh, the difference in this in the fight was Gooden was had power, had a little bit more power. Allen had enough power and really good timing along with lots of combinations. There were several times in this fight where he threw like some like street fighter combos in here and, and just stayed really active and uh, was able to just outwork Gooden um, all throughout the fight. Um, so yeah, really exciting fight. Um, if uh, you didn't get a chance to see it, I highly recommend checking it out. Um, all right. Uh, we also had... Prior to that, we had Kyle Dawkins versus Dustin Stoltzfus. Um, I mean, this was pretty much just Dawkins dominating with range and Stoltzfus not able to land any wrestling. Um, I mean, Dawkins kind of dominated this whole fight. Uh, yeah. I had him winning rounds one, two, and then 10-8 in the third round. Did you see it any different? 
no, I scored it um, exactly the same. I might have went 30-27 for the final round. My memory isn't going back that far anymore. I will say it felt like he could have finished the fight pretty much any time he wanted to if he just backed off and started and kept to his striking. But he repeatedly engaged in the grappling where, to his credit, he was winning the grappling exchanges. It just wasn't as dominant as the as the striking was. Yeah, yeah. Ducus did showed a lot of impressive uh, traits. He looks huge. Um, if he can, yeah, just sort of put things together, balance things out. Um, I think he's got uh, he's a pretty interesting prospect. Okay, and uh, the opening fight of the night was a pretty good one. Uh, we had Lewis. Koshi, Koshi, is that how you pronounce it? I, that one I got wrong. This is he was making Koshi. Okay, he was making Kosi. his UFC debut also against Sasha Palatnikov, who was making his UFC debut as well, uh, and it turned out to be a pretty good fight. Yeah, it was a really fun fight. Uh, Koshi was a pretty massive favorite coming into this. He's finished all seven of his professional fights in the first round. And early in the first, it looked like it was going that way. He catches a kick from Platnikov, if my memory serves correctly. And Kosi just swarms him with a bunch of strikes on the ground. It looked like it was close to being stopped a few times. And when they when Kosi did pick himself up, he was dropped. At, he was dropped, but he somehow recovered. And this is when the fight just completely turned around. Kosi had went through a ton of energy trying to finish him. And Palatnikov just unleashes. He makes a full comeback. He's landing right hand after right hand and lands a huge spinning back fist to end the round. This round was crazy. Each each man landed 50 strikes throughout the round. And there, this is probably a top five round of the year. I don't think that's crazy. This This fight was insane. Yeah, a crazy... Into round two... Sorry, yeah, I was just going to say it was a crazy opening round. It was wild. Uh, Koshi uh, came out strong, tried to finish, then looked tired um, and looked like he was going to struggle, but he was able to hang in there. So quickly going through the next two rounds, Koshi's exhausted and Pletnikov's not that fresh either, but the difference between them is Koshi's never seen a second round before while Palatnikov has five round experience and you could see that playing out throughout the next two rounds. Palatnikov, it's still a brawl, but Palatnikov has a slight edge in this wild, wild fight. He's he's a bit busier, especially after uh, a couple of low blows paused the action and going into the third round, Palatnikov lands the strong kick to the body and not long thereafter, he lands this powerful right hand, and as Kosi, who is exhausted and hurt, tries to go for a takedown, Polotnikov stuffs it, and he just lands punch after punch as Kosi shells up, and the fight stopped. Sasha Polotnikov wins by TKO at 2.27, round three. Yeah, very impressive debut. Uh, showed a lot of composure. He had a lot of uh, uh, cardio in this fight, um, and... Uh... Real, pretty exciting debut. Uh, I think people are going to look forward to seeing him uh, in the future. He had a good post-fight interview. And, yeah, a pretty exciting prospect. Sasha 
Kolatnikov. And Koshi was looked pretty good here as well. I mean, he had moments in this fight. He showed a lot of power. Um, if he can get his cardio sorted out. Um, this, as you mentioned, this is the first time he's seen round two. So uh, I think he's got a little bit of potential as well. All right. So that yeah, wraps... This is a great way to kick off the guard. Yeah. All right. So that wraps up UFC 255. Uh, maybe you can find out if there's any bonuses or any of that stuff uh, handed out. And I'll talk about what's coming up yep. next week. So next week we've got uh, the UFC is back at the UFC Apex in Las Vegas, Nevada for a card I imagine you will be covering. Uh, it is uh, headlined by Curtis Blades versus Derek Lewis. Um, there's not too much else to talk about on here other than the return of Anthony Smith taking on Devin Clark. Um, so not the deepest card. Uh, the weekend after that, we have Jack Hermanson taking on Kevin Holland. Kevin Holland making another quick return uh, to the cage, but taking a big step up against uh, Jack Hermanson. Uh, let's see if there's anything else worthwhile on that card. Um not so much. Um, and then uh, the next time that I will be back with John will be on December 12th for UFC 256. Right now, it looks like the headliner for that is going to be Peter Yan versus Aljamain Sterling. Um, we also have uh, Marvin Vittori versus Jacare Souza. Uh, who else is on here? Uh, Ren- Tony Ferguson and that's Charles right Oliveira they did just added. add that so that's most likely going to be the co-main event Mackenzie Dern making a quick turnaround as well Gavin Tucker Chase Hooper on this card um, so uh, some things to look forward to uh, for the last pay-per-view of the year and then there's a stack card Edwards versus Chimaev right after that um, so any thoughts uh, did, super stacked yeah so do uh, do we get any info on uh, those bonuses uh, yes, sir. So, Fire of the Night went out to Kosi and Palatnikov. Uh, Well-deserved. I thought it was between that one and the... Really? Yeah, I thought Joban was a I better really fight. Interesting. Okay. I think that opening round was the uh, difference maker. And our performance bonuses went to Joaquin Buckley, and no was surprise there, and Antonina Shevchenko. Okay, so Valentina campaigned for her sister to get the bonus, and she got it. So, uh... Happy family. Uh, That's right. Yeah, happy family. Um, All right. So uh, that wraps up our uh, UFC 255 post show. As I mentioned, uh, John and I will be back for UFC 256. Uh, Eric will be back covering uh, next weekend's event. Is there anything else that uh, you want to say to the people out there, uh, Eric? Um, no, uh, thanks for having me here tonight, Phil. I'm a better writer than a speaker, but still, it was nice to jump on here with you and talk a bit of MMA. Oh, I think you did a great job, and I think the fans would agree. Uh, you, you're giving John a run for his money. Uh, and uh, yeah, so, and once again, we just wanted to send our that love. It, like that. <laughs> we wanted to send our love to the Pollock family for their new edition, and we know that they're 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 up now at two twenty watching this UFC two fifty five post show because what else could they be doing? Um, so, hello to everyone in the Pollock household, and thank you to everybody listening at home. And we will see you uh, next time. All right, take care.